Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Hey, this is Derwin Lester from the Blanket Fortress Solitude. And with me today is one of my oldest creative collaborating partners. I first met her at a restaurant. Which restaurant? I can't remember. It was a sub place or a sandwich joint of some sort. I'm sure she'll correct me here in a second. And I remember she was interviewing to be my editor, right? And then she came so prepared and so poised. And she had examples from her college editing career when she ran a magazine and she goes oh i can do this and i can do that and here's five articles and here's 10 articles past that and i'm thinking if she knows where a comma goes she's hired also she knows just how broke i am oh my god <laughs> people that work for experience i love it and so with me today is my dear friend cassie hey cassie hey and but you are an author in your own right so let's talk about your first work, your first book, 11 Grams, Stories of Half Souls. So out of that, the basis of the title uh, is there's 11 stories. It's 11 short stories that you cobbled together, right? Uh, I don't think it's actually 11 stories. I would have to double check. It's actually not... Uh, the title is not based on how many stories are in there. Are you serious? I thought that's why we yeah. called it that. No, I called it that. <laughs> um, uh, so. Well, now I just look stupid on my no. own show. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, this is all so staying in too. <laughs> 20, 21 grams is how much a soul weighs. And um, 11 is half of 21. I think I had to do some rounding, but <laughs> it's 11 gram stories of half souls because they're, ha they're, they're, they're partial. They could be partially soulless people, like because of the nature of the types of people these stories are about. So that's where I got the title, actually. Well, okay. If you want to be accurate about it, we'll go with that. <laughs> so... With that, one of the stories, the first story that sticks out to mind to me is the opening story. That's the uh, the, the suicidal kid, right? No, no, it's the homeless kid. That's who, a homeless kid. Um, and talk to me about that story. Before the 18 Staples. Um, it's about a gay kid who is homeless and... Um, He goes through some shit and um because he often prostitutes himself to get a place right like he'll who hook up with someone just uh, to have yeah. a warm some, bed sometimes sometimes he would do that um he would just use people in general for drugs or money or a place to stay 
Yeah. Um, but this particular night, he uh, he can't find anything, and a cop picks him up and drops him off at a super center, and uh, he uh, winds up going to sleep at his usual I can't find anywhere better to sleep spot, and um. I guess maybe read the story to find out what happens to him. Something <laughs> doesn't go well for him. Until then, it's on Amazon. Until then, it's on Amazon. Um, another one I really liked. Well, no, hold on. So there is a real piece of darkness there, right? And something that I always really enjoyed about your writing was it spoke to the level of darkness that's right underneath the sort of suburban gloss of Midwestern and American life. Cause we're both Midwesterners and you know, like you just go through the suburbs, like, Oh, everyone's happy and everyone's got an American flag and all oh, the dad's driving the, the, you know, he's drinking beer and mowing the lawn and whatever. But really there's like, you know, like a sex ring going on. And then there's like human trafficking and all sorts of stuff. This doesn't happen in your story specifically, but it's the general vibe of what it is. And it's, it's so true to life, right? I love it with, it's like the dark side of a Disney castle, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> so the Shadowland. the Shadowland, yeah. The upside down, if you will. And what was sort of like your early inspirations of that? What sort of books, movies, genre elements did you glom onto? Or was it you just, you just watch the news and you're like, oh, the world's a sad place? Um, I won't get too much into it, but my hometown is actually a lot of my inspiration because it is on the surface. It's just this good old town, like it everybody acts like they're good old boys and everybody acts like they're just like small town hicks but it's the third biggest city in the state and it's actually got a really seedy underbelly like there's a lot of like uh (laughs) you'll see a lot of drug busts come out of there that are like oh, there was a whole drug ring uncovered over here. And like, I just, I wound up brushing up against this underbelly of my hometown quite a bit. Um, just because uh, I just would get into dumb shit. I I never did anything super horrible, but I knew where to go to access bad people if you wanted to have a good time you knew yeah (laughs) yeah and like when I like before that curtain got like pulled back for me I thought I lived in I don't know the safest city in the world or something like I just felt like I lived yeah like I lived in this nice place and like there are things that I would do like Before I could drive, I would walk across the town all the time, and my parents wouldn't know where I was. Um, but I would walk around <laughs> all the time. And we, you probably uh, didn't have a cell phone either. 
Uh, not until I was 14. So it was like a few of the early walks. I didn't have a cell phone. And then the last two years of walking around everywhere, um, I had the cell phone. Um, but the, the things that I would do prior to the curtain being pulled back, like after I knew what I knew about my hometown, I, I can't believe I would walk around yeah. And just like, how did I ever think it was safe? I, I don't know. It's just, it was, I don't know. It's just like that. Um, yeah. And so I guess really that was my big inspiration. Like, that's what influenced me. I was big, I was big into horror movies and I worked yeah. at a haunted house and I liked dark stuff. And so. I, I just think it it all just came to a head in my well, writing. I, I've always been fascinated with the idea that society is a common story we tell ourselves. And I haven't seen a whole lot of the world outside of America. But I've seen enough to know that America, at the macro 350 million person view, uh, is a really good story <laughs> that we've all kind of agreed on, Right. Some people, it works for better than others, of course. But, uh, you know, typically you turn on the lights, the water, you know, the lights go on. And and if you shrink that down to the small town, you know, you, you know, there's flowers and parades and everyone looks good. But then, like you said, you look at the underbelly, you understand what the underbelly is. And you say, oh, no, this is all very dangerous, right? Like, it's just, it's it's much like our friend Kyle's podcast, Anachronistic, which I cannot get enough of, let me tell you. <laughs> and it's and, and and about the guy who kind of steps into the underbelly of the demons and multiverse or whatever. And I can see where you would, after the revelation of just how dark the world really is, because some people spend their whole lives in that fantasy of Pleasantville where everything's fine and nice and don't worry about it. And, and the government's not corrupt and the police are totally fine. And it's, it's totally cool. And some people need that, but some people want the truth. Some people are at least can spot the lie, spot the fantasy and reading your work. You can see where somebody could spot the fantasy and you're like oh well, what else is the fantasy and what else is this this agreed upon lie you know maybe there are demons maybe there's a, a, a traveling huckster who goes into a diner and uh, uh set like buys the soul of a waitress am i remember this right this is another story in 11 grams <laughs> uh, uh... Yeah, before I do, I have one other thing. Uh, a lot of the stuff I read in college. So I took I took a violence and fiction uh, class. Yeah. And I think before that, I was right. I think before that was uh, the violence and fiction class really a before and after in my writing um everything that's in 11 grams came before that class and then the stuff that came after was a result of that class but uh that class and stuff like um i had to read a lot of like american 
like literature stuff uh and one of the stories that really stuck with me from a different uh american lit class was um the ones that walk away from Amalus or those who walk away from Amalus um by ursula oh man what is her name kayla gwynn or something Um, it was, yeah, Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, and the thing that you're saying, the thing that you're talking about, like, um, this utopian world where everything is great and it works, there, this story by her, they, um, they lived in this great society where everything is great, but the city had a secret, and that secret was that one person suffered and you could go visit the suffering person but if you did you had two choices you lived with that and stayed in this city that you knew was a result of that person's suffering or you left the city because you couldn't handle that truth and the person that was suffering was a small kid in like a basement where they were horribly treated you know like it was just yeah like so I I think that's another thing that really like oh I can write about my hometown without writing about my hometown (laughs) I think that's really I think that really every third house is a child trafficking ring (laughs) oh man oh that's so dark (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a really good story. I I would I would recommend it. Um but uh the other thing you asked me about the other story in the uh in the book. Um that's called The Bugs and it was uh I don't think she's a waitress. I haven't read the story in a while, but she was working at a diner, right? She was at the diner. At the diner. Um, she was okay. trying to give up art and um art was like her self-expression and her creativity um but it was she felt very chained to it and this person um comes in and makes a deal with her and says i can take this all away for you um but that doesn't work out because then she thinks she has bugs under her skin because instead of creating, she's just left with this um, this different kind of problem. Because creating, because I know for me, um, I I don't think I, 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 it would be impossible for me to not, right? Like I, it is a burning, much like yourself, it is a, burning fucking desire and i think i would explode if i didn't um or at least be very whiny about it (laughs) um but i like the metaphor and the imagery behind it where she feels chained to it like she has to create but she just doesn't want to she doesn't she wants to enjoy the act of creating but she doesn't want to feel have the obligation behind it she wants the pleasure without the sort of like 
you know, crushing weight of responsibility. And so that, you know, the, 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 the demon guy takes away the, the crushing weight of responsibility, but the pleasure as well. And she's left as like this empty, mentally unstable husk. And honestly, I haven't read that book in five years. And it is just comes back right away. You know, I haven't read that book since you sent me the stories and said, hey, what order should these go in? You know, um, yeah, and it's that memorable. And uh, what else do you? What what else about Grams do you want to cover? Um, I'd really, I guess, like to just mention. I think the thing that you're talking about right now with this story, um, I think that the there's a little bit of inspiration from. Uh, Rilke's uh, letters to the young poet because there's a quote um, that like it's like uh, ask yourself in the most silent hour of your night must I write and like it's about it's about the need to create and whether it burns in you like that or not and I think that I think that was like a really that that was a really um pivotal book in my life and I think that quote I think I I think I'm going to live and die by it for the rest of my life I I've thought that since I was like I don't know 19 um but the other thing about Grams that I really want to talk about is uh, the short story Circus was a nice. semi-finalist in the Screencraft short story writing competition uh, to film contest they had in 2021. So, What is Circus? Describe that to me. Because I kind of remember it, but refresh my mind. Uh, circus is about a guy who is pining for his high school sweetheart who was never really his high school sweetheart and he got someone pregnant and he's trying to go do the right thing um but on his way to do the right thing he just takes a little uh detour to a traveling festival that has a circus and that circus happens to be the circus that this lady from high school joined with her boyfriend and uh the boyfriend runs the show um and he gets kidnapped by the circus and they all have like some weird supernatural stuff going on and they do this to him and he's very upset about it and they're like well it's what's inside of you like this um this was um inside of you all along and so we just kind of bring it to the surface um and uh once they do this thing to you you can't leave the circus so uh he gets kidnapped by the circus uh and he doesn't 
necessarily get the girl. So <laughs> it's even worse. Oh man, I I remember a lot of the imagery of it. I, I the thing I remember the most from that is the imagery of the circus itself. The sort of like half human, half animal creatures flying about and stuff, and 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 that really stuck with me. Okay, so your follow up to Eleven Grams. Uh, is a story called Keeping Up with Jones. And the thing that fascinates me the most about, I mean, there's many multiple things that fascinate me about Jones. It's like a, it's like a Jack Kerouac novel of like young kids traveling across the country, uh, getting themselves in trouble, getting themselves nearly killed. Um, just, 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 just dumb, dumb children. <laughs> and, but I, I love this book so much because I'm reading this book and it's about two 19 year old girls that travel across the country and get themselves into trouble and do stupid things. But they, they it's so accurate to what a 19 year old would do. Right. I used to work with 19 year olds in the military and I would see these kids. And then I kept reading your characters and picturing the kids and seeing the actions that their characters are doing. And I'm thinking, you stupid idiot, you could do literally anything else and it would be better than this horrible choice you've made, which I think speaks to your talent as a writer. <laughs> and, you know, and we've all been idiot 19 year olds in the past. So we all remember being that person. And, and it's really, I am a third middle-aged 35 year old army veteran, right? You wouldn't think that a love story between two 19-year-old girls traveling across the country would keep my me interested. I was I had just had my appendix out and I might have been hopped up on Vicodin, but still I was captivated. <laughs> I remember it through the Vicodin casting. And powerful. <laughs> it was really well done. And it starts out, and I'm not gonna give it away. I'm just gonna like set the stage for it. You've got a girl who's kind of just not mild-mannered, but not super out there. She's just trying to get through high school, right? Kind of like average, generic heroin girl in the beginning. And then you've got this wild child sort of like, 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 who was the guy in Heathers? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I know the movie, but I don't remember the guy's name. But you know the character I'm talking about? Yeah. The bad boy that shows up like, oh, we're going to do stuff. That's going to be cool. And then it just ends up violent and dark. Yeah. That was the beginning of Jones reminds me a lot of Heather's, right? Oh, that's an honor. That's it's a full honor. It, and, and and that's the, the juxtaposition of both characters is very similar. Because in Heather's, you have the sort of mild-mattered suburban girl who's, you know, just just. Girls that younger figuring out who they are, and that's what she's doing. And then you've got, you know, this other person, the sort of like sexy rebel, angry person who's just kind of a mess, but gets in trouble all the time. And that's Jones. And that's the and and the title itself, Keeping Up with Jones, is Lindsay's way of keeping up with this Jones character. Now, where did this start? It's the story that uh was born in my violence in fiction class in college um it started oh my god i haven't thought about this moment in a long time so back in my hometown on a whim 
I went to a NaNoWriMo event and I went with a friend, but my friend wound up not coming back the next time. And so I somehow, I, I was so much braver back then. Um, I went back to the next group event and I just kept going. And then the month of November ended and I got invited to join a writing group. And that writing group was called the Writer's Asylum. And we would take turns coming up with prompts or like trying to help each other write. And um, I was really obsessed with texts from last night. And it's just a website. (laughs) Texts from last night is a website where people just can submit like really stupid conversations that they had with someone um by a text message and it's it was fun I was really obsessed with it because I was in college and I liked reading about dumb shit people said to each other um like the text would always be something so fucking ridiculous like oh my god i'm in the middle of giving a guy a blowjob and he walked out to call his mom or like what the stuff fuck? Like that. yeah it was always weird shit and i gave a prompt. wait hold on we're not just gonna skip right past that so this guy's getting his dick sucked and he thinks i should call my mom i don't like, know that's that's-, just, that's what the text said so like that was that was all i got that's all i knew <laughs> i'm so- sorry i'm just you're exactly where I want you to be though because (laughs) that's that's the thought like it's like that's a fucking crazy text message and that (laughs) website was just full of them and I gave the group a prompt based on I was like hey make the story behind this text thread and the text thread prompt um was a text between two people don't know who they were don't know if they were girls or guys or whatever i don't know anything about the people i just know that phone number number one and phone number number two that's all i have phone number number one said hey that white van we got into last night pretty sure that wasn't our taxi and the other person was like oh well we made it home or whatever like Uh it was just kind of blase and um i gave this to the uh, to the group i was like we should all make up what happened like how did they get in this situation yeah and i wrote i like all i had to write was 250 words and so i wrote like 250 maybe 500 words about these two girls that were drunk and they got into a van and it was really creepy and weird and I took it to the group and I was like I don't know if this is anything but this is what I wrote and they were like this is funny and I was like oh I'm not funny I don't (laughs) that's not I'm not funny I don't know what you're saying and um they actually kind of are they they liked it and that was all I did with it that was all I did with it for a while And then I took the violence in fiction class and we learned about the treatment of violence in fiction in a lot of different like avenues, like what it looks like when it's on screen, what it looks like when it's implied, when it's off screen, when it's just the threat or the implication of violence, like 
how can violence appear and like the many forms that violence can take like yeah. it, it it's violence doesn't have to always be i pull out a gun and shoot somebody yeah. like violence can be i'm holding a paper bag and you don't know what's in the paper bag but this paper bag might kill you later like and we never like it's all about the tension it's always yeah. it's, it's about the tension and the, the the tension that violence creates and um we had to write a story by the end yeah. of that class like that semester i had to come out of it with a full-blown short story and i was stressed out about it because i was like I, I'm in over my head. I really like, like, I'm, I'm understanding and I'm loving this class, but I'm supposed to write something like this. I can't write this. This is so good. This every, every single thing has been so good. Like I, I can't compare. And I was um, getting ready to go out with a friend for uh, drinking and general thirsty Thursday debauchery or whatever College. we used to get into. Um, and, uh, and we're old was, now, so I get it. <laughs> I was, um, I was laying at the top of the staircase. Um, I think I had actually had a couple of drinks before I met up with her. I don't remember how I wound up here, but I was laying at the top of the staircase and it was a staircase that there were stairs and then there was a landing and then there were more stairs. And I was laying there waiting for her. She was in the bathroom getting ready, texting her boyfriend, whatever. And um, I was thinking like, man, what am I going to write this story about? And then it hit me. What would you do for your friend if they got into a situation that they were in over their head? And they asked you to do something unforgivable. What mm -hmm. would you do? Like, what would you, what would you do? How would you respond? Like, what if, what if, what, like, what if I stood up right now and asked my friend, throw me down these stairs and hard pass. <laughs> and, and I was like, what would you do? What would you do? And I just kept asking myself that. And, um, I picked up the, little prompt uh response that i had brought to the writer's asylum and i thought if anyone's going to answer that question it's going to be these two people that just got out of this this white van that was not a taxi cab at all what do you do and um they answered the question what would you do if your friend uh what would you do if your friend needed you to help them miscarry? Sure. And uh, that was the very first story for Jones and Lindsay. And I. That's the one that love. made me so fucking angry at these kids because I yeah. wanted to be like, hey guys, there's, I remember reading this. And I'm, I'm, it's like I wanted to yell at a 19 year old and be like, they were literally, literally um, any other idea is better than what you've picked. This is the yeah. worst idea in the long, sad history of bad ideas. Like, what are you doing? 
there's <laughs> there's but that a 19 year old isn't going to think like they're not going oh. to know the world for them is very small and narrow and so the the breadth of options are non-existent actually um in that story they're 22 Oh, well, I mean, still. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, they're 22. That's a 19-year-old that can drink alcohol legally. Yeah. Like, <laughs> most yeah. people are like dogs with, like, social security numbers till they're 25. <laughs> yeah, they um, they made some really bad decisions. Um, yeah. And I was in love. I I was so in love with both of them. Yeah. Uh, and so the next... Um, next class that I had where I had to come up with a short story um I realized something so in all the classes before that I thought I had to come up with something that was completely original and unrelated to anything else I'd ever written every single time my teacher gave us an assignment where she said hey here's a prompt make a response and turn it in you don't have to do that You can just pick whatever fucking characters you are working with and you can just run with it. So I started doing that Mm -hmm. in every single workshop style class I had. And I got a lot of weird scenes collected of these two characters. And um, I realized, oh shit. I think there's a lot more I want to do with these two. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, so how did they meet? And how did they, uh, how did they get where they get? Like, how did we get to this friendship where there's like a sexual tension? How did we get to, yes, I will follow you into a, uh, an alleyway uh blindfolded and tried to hit you with a baseball bat like how did we get like a pinata yeah (laughs) and like how did how did how did we get there who were these girls leading up to this and i i think i have a solution for that um (laughs) we've all dated hot crazy people like (laughs) like, yeah i mean that's like we we've like i remember this and like oh i yeah i've been there (laughs) and like the like the like the thing that i'm attracted to and i have attracted for other people is the manic pixie dream girl like talk to me about that what's that that is someone who is like this wild free-spirited lady who um ticks all these boxes all these boxes off for people um where Ramona Flowers it's it's the manic pixie dream girl it's an archetype uh and it's this thing where you are drawn to someone because they are so free mm-hmm. and you think they're going to change my world like you yeah. put this pressure on them to change your life and rock your world. That's and fun. you were going to follow that person to the ends of the earth. And yeah. uh, I guess I, Jones started out 
as a manic pixie dream girl, but she was also more than that because the manic pixie dream girl goes home and goes to bed just like everybody else and has trouble just like everybody else. And I guess like it became exploring who is the manic pixie dream girl when she hangs up that mantle. Well, because like you've been the manic pixie dream girl for somebody you yeah know. Uh, I, mean, I mean there's a there's a particular look that people get in their eye yeah when they're looking at a manic pixie dream girl and it's what's like, that look oh i mean i can't describe it i just it's 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 just this your eyes light up in a very specific way yeah. and i anytime i ever saw that look it was the same this this person it's going to fix me yeah and i and i that responsibility that weight uh oh god that's a weird weight to feel but i mean i've also done it to people so i mean weird weird (laughs) shoe to put on and then also put on someone else but i get it like but jones was jones was that this is this is this is it's interesting you being uh, both the manic pixie dream girl for somebody and then finding somebody else that fits that whole category. And that's well, some... That's just a bisexual thing, I think. Sure. <laughs> well, I mean, that kind of... I think that kind of crosses any and all boundaries and ideas. I think it's... People do that when they're lonely and unhappy and they're so desperate for some sort of connection, some sort of something that will shake them of that. And movies and TV have taught us that it's a a quirky, pretty young lady who's going to come in and show me how to live. And, you know, and and she's going to, you know, kickstart my life and everything when that's really kind of your responsibility. And, and, and yeah, it's a fascinating concept and I could see where Jones was like that, but it's kind of like, you know, the manic pixie dream girl archetype thing is probably fun for like a weekend, but yeah. nobody that's sort of that's not a stable person, you know. Uh, no, and I mean like in the um the very like you you we're talking about the uh this the story where they they like the they do the whole baseball bat thing but like the story that i like the most is actually the very first one which was i think at the, the party second yeah the i think it was the second one i i wrote um and it it was where they meet at a party and they're 16 yeah. years old and uh Lindsay can't figure out how to go to parties and have fun And she keeps running into Jones at parties and she starts making an effort to run into Jones at parties and they have this moment, um, like their very first moment is Jones walks in on Lindsay trying to like have a quiet space in the bathroom and she's drunk (laughs) and she's fun and she's bubbly. And then the second time you see them together. Doesn't she sit down to pee? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. She like. She See, you're funny. And... Like, I know you don't think you are, but you really are. Thanks. I I don't know about it, but if you say so. Um, but yeah, she like sits down to take this piss. I mean, I've also so... read everything you've written, so. <laughs> That's fair. Anyway, go, continue. She, uh, she takes this piss and she's fun and she's bubbly and she's weird and she's just, she's making a grand entrance. And then like the next time you see Lindsay and Jones, like it's quiet. They're on a rooftop. They accidentally wound up meeting up on this rooftop and they're just smoking a joint and they're just having like a quiet moment together. And then the story progresses and it, it wavers between the crazy weird outing and then the quiet time. And there's one moment where Lindsay is trying to hook up with this guy that she's been trying to hook up with like the whole story. And it gets interrupted because Jones comes in and is like, Hey, we're leaving with these dudes. And Lindsay says the wrong thing. She says something like, they only want to do that with you because of how you're dressed and because we're drunk Mm -hmm. and Jones gets upset. Like she gets upset and they leave the party and Lindsay refuses to let her drive drunk. And so they walk and then at the playground in between the apartment complex and Jones's house, Jones like breaks down and is like really upset and Mm -hmm. like, I just I feel like that was where I really explored like the manic pixie dream girl the dark underbelly underneath yeah yeah like that's where I think that's where my 11 grams like that's where that's where that shit comes in there really even more so than in the uh, um, the more overt hey hit me with a baseball bat game like that's like a whole that that whole chicken that whole game of chicken they play Again, you want to be like, hey, kids, literally, there's 500 options. Like, there's, you pick the, outside of, like, using a knife, you've picked the worst option. My favorite, though, is in the violence for, the violence in fiction class, for that class, when we turned, when we had to, like, take turns doing, like, the workshop portion where we turned it in, and everyone else had to read it and give feedback. There was one guy and he was like, this story is so unrealistic. I mean, all of the medical bills from beating up this girl with a baseball bat, like, <laughs> and, and like, I, I wasn't allowed to talk, but to this day, it's like, oh, you're funny. You think this person who can't afford an abortion is going to the doctor at all. Like, she's, if she can't afford to live, she's not going like that's like this is what this is what america is like this is america have you been to america um so oh look whose daddy has health insurance over in the club yeah yeah it was it was such a weird thing for someone to say but it was also it was also like a 20 year old white boy so probably the first time i met somebody who didn't have health insurance or didn't or where health insurance wasn't uh, an assumed baseline. Yeah. Like, you know, you just went to the doctor. Yeah. Know? And like, I, I loved the assumption that he made that like, oh, you would just, he would have so many more medical bills. It's like, that's if you went to the doctor. Like Also, although maybe his dad was like an, like an insurance actuary. <laughs> like, maybe. <laughs> 
Oh. I'm sorry. It's so ridiculous. He's like, well, you know, the medical bills would be really crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm sorry. Broad, you know, it covers point. 30% of a baseball bat beating. Yeah. It's like, oh, you, you missed the point. But I appreciate the feedback. It is unrealistic. Like, you think someone's going to go around hitting their friend with a baseball bat? Like, like, hi, this is this is where you suspend your disbelief with me. You, you just come along on this yeah. journey. See, I... Yes, I absolutely 100% believe that that happened, that sort of thing happens every single fucking day. Right? Yeah, so do I. And not because, and, and I don't say this as like, uh, you know, like I'm not, <clears throat> young people make stupid choices because they don't know any better and there's nobody who's like older to say, hey, idiot, try this thing and literally anything else. Like, oh. Like when I was an army sergeant, most of my job was to be like, hey, maybe I don't date the girl who's doing five to seven for like heroin trafficking. That's probably a bad idea. Don't date incarcerated people. (laughs) Um, Maybe you have uh, better options literally anywhere else. Literally anything else. Go to the temple and find Jesus. I don't care what you do. <laughs> don't just, date inmates. <laughs> just maybe don't hook up with the heroin addict. It, I mean, <laughs> it's basic things. You know, should I hit this girl in the stomach with a baseball bat to to make her miscarry? Absolutely not. <laughs> See, but like my favorite part is why she did it. Because... Like, she was so fed up. Like, she'd yeah. been following this girl to the ends of the earth. And oh, she did finally, it out of frustration. Like, finally, she is like, you know what? You are asking me to do the wrong thing. Like, I can't. Mm-hmm. This is this is somewhere I can't follow you. And then she forces her to follow her there. And mm-hmm. she gives her the bat. She And, and like, so in the violence and fiction where, uh, class, we learned that if there is a gun introduced into a story, the gun mm. has to go off. Mm-hmm. I didn't work with a gun. I worked with a baseball bat. Sure. I had a baseball bat introduced into the story. And by the end of the story, that baseball bat had to be, it had to go off. Sure. And Jones is nagging Lindsay and she's like, hey, do this, do that, do this, do that. And she's done she's done actually at the end of that story um i never wrote what came after but i thought about it often Lindsay, well, yeah, you did you wrote I some mean, stuff like, I, I, the thing that wrote i that thing i wrote like four years after the initial thing like i spent four years thinking before i ever put that on paper uh, um the after the alley but like um for four years i i never i never wrote anything after that um after i did the first four i spent four years just like i don't know what happens but i thought about it and i thought about it and Lindsay leaves like she leaves she she hits her with that baseball bat and she's like i'm getting my shit and i'm leaving and that's it's totally understandable and it's it's it is the most it's a horrible stupid idiotic decision and i absolutely believe every piece of it you know (laughs) and and i like how you're like you know i'm not saying people should 
force miscarriages through baseball bats. Like, but you're presenting yeah. like desperate people do stupid, stupid things. Yeah. You know, whether it's hitting your friend with a baseball bat or like putting on a vest and pulling a cord to kill people with explosives. Or yeah. like the the story in Eleven Grams called Shoes. Like these two people try to kidnap a kid. Yeah. And in the in the department store, right? Uh, Black Friday. Yeah. Yeah. And like it, it, it's just they were doing that out of desperation. Like a lot of my stories are about people in like people who get backed into corners yeah. for whatever reason. And they have to make a hard choice and you're not always going to agree with the choice. And sometimes the choice is going to be fucking stupid, yeah. but it's a choice that they're making. And I love what if this bad thing happens? Yeah. What do you do? Like, I love playing in that space because you can sit here and I can sit here and we can say, oh, if I, if I were in that situation, I would never but we've not been in that situation. So we don't know, would we? Like, would I, we make a similar choice? Would I we? think we've been around the block enough times and enough bad blocks to know that <laughs> good people make bad choices all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, but if you can understand the underpinnings of evil and what makes evil, then you can maybe look at someone and say, oh, you're three days away from crossing the bridge in the evil land so maybe we can like pull you back what do you need i need health insurance well here's a job you know <laughs> like, I think, like i think like a a good thing to like recognize that like this is what i like to play with like you you're not necessarily like some of the people that i write i've written about like they're bad people yeah. and then there are other stories where they're not bad people they're just in bad situations and yeah. they're making the choices that make sense in that setting yeah. because that's like that's all you can do like i i have this theory uh about things that escalate like cults and stuff like that like yeah. someone someone says yes and goes along with the person who is bad like there's a bad yeah. person and they make a bad choice and then they peer pressure someone into going along with it and this happens and this happens and this happens and then suddenly you have 50 people who are like yeah this is just what we do so yeah. if you don't want to sex traffic this kid you need to leave and the option to leave is not actually a real option like you say yes and go along with the bad thing or you get destroyed, whether that's financially or you get killed or you get like ostracized from like society because yeah. they pin it on you. They're like, oh, this guy wanted us to do this bad thing. And then those 50 guys doing the bad thing makes you look bad. And then suddenly, yeah. da, 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 da. so I like that. I think I think I'm... that there's just there's there's a bad person and then there's just the people wanting to belong to something yeah and i mean like people will kill to belong to something yeah. people will commit horrific acts of like discussing barbaric terrorism just to yeah. feel like they're a I part mean, of a group like, like that's like that's how cults work that's how extremist yeah. groups work like that's it's just everybody um 
everybody has something that gets them there or you make bad choices and then you walk away from the bad choices because you're like fuck those were really bad choices and i don't want to do this anymore and 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 i think i just like to play in that space and and think about those to wrap this up since you're about to turn into a pumpkin um you have a podcast which i have described uh as a treatise on uh grieving on loss on uh finding your way out of the tall grass uh and that's it i i talked about it on this show before where you you know i i had a family member who was so wrapped up in post-traumatic stress that they thought they were still in Japan fighting the Japanese in the 1970s. And my dad one time pulled the firing pin out of his rifle so he didn't accidentally shoot any Asian-American people that walked by because he was having a post-traumatic stress disorder moment. But he was in the tall grass. And some people never leave the tall grass. And listening to your podcast, I have no idea what I'm doing. Is you can see somebody moving their way through the tall grass and trying to find their way on the other side. Would you like to talk about it at all? Yeah, sure. Um, So it's a podcast that I started doing in 2020, uh, shortly after the pandemic started. Um, It was actually... um, I started going to therapy in 2020 uh not because of the pandemic but because my mom died and uh my therapist told me don't like don't try to journal about this yet because it's going to be hard to do and it's going to you're gonna wind up in like thought loops where you you're you're gonna get stuck in a thought and that's not gonna help you so try to do some like um audio journaling if you need to talk about it in between our sessions just like record what you're saying and go back and listen to it um this paper probably feels more permanent but audio feels like speaking which is kind of that's yeah that's kind of her that was i think that was kind of like one of the things we talked about but by the time i got to therapy it was too late like the first thing i do is yeah. journal i i carry a notebook with me all the time so it's sort of well someone should have told me that the day mom died because the day mom died i probably have an entry and if not that day the next day like the first person that i go to is my mom and then the second yeah. person that i go to is my notebook and so couldn't call my mom to say hey oh my god mom you fucking died can you believe that <laughs> so i went to my notebook because who the fuck else was i gonna go to <laughs> to say that so see I, you like, are funny <laughs> thanks so i i like i i was like well shit i've already written about it and my therapist surprise she was right uh because most of my entries were mom is dead holy shit and then a whole bunch of like fodder and then I cannot believe my mom is dead. And then like a little bit more fodder. And then I would just come back and like eventually the the entry would just be my mom is dead. Holy shit. Over and over again. Like I was just kind of stuck there and like I would say it a dozen different ways. But at the end of the day, it boiled down. It was mom is dead. I can't believe it. 
how the fuck am I supposed to keep doing this? And that was it. And so, I mean, my therapist had a point. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be journaling about it. Um, but I got COVID um, a couple of weeks after my mom died. So I was stuck in quarantine with nothing but books to read. And you got COVID during the shutdown. Yes, I did. And we um, didn't hear from you for a week while yeah. New York City was burning. And we thought, yeah. I thought, oh, well, Cassie's dead. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, dark, dark times. And so after after that, um, I I was like, maybe I should, maybe I should do that that audio journal thing. Like maybe that's that's a better thing to do. I've I love podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts for a while. Maybe maybe I should start. You were bugging me audio. in 2017 to start a podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. I might have been even even 20. It was 2016 actually. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I I was like. I don't know if this is going to be a podcast. Like this doesn't feel like something I podcast about. And so I was like, this could be an audio project for me to help me get ready to podcast. And I sat down and I recorded a couple of audio journal entries. I hated every minute of it because I, I knew that I was not going to go back and listen to them. I knew it. Like, this was this was not something I wanted to think about. This was not something I wanted to do anything with it. I wasn't going to learn how to do audio because I wasn't going to go back to this audio. Like I just wasn't. Like this was not this was not going to be audio I ever touched again. And then I started thinking about the podcasts that I listened to and the first episodes like of this one podcast I listened to there are like 600 episodes. And Dang. mhm. Yeah, they release weekly and they've only missed like a handful of weeks. Um and they've all had two kids at this point. Good so they they're dedicated. So in the very first episodes, um like it's shitty and it's it's just three brothers fucking around with mics and it's it's fine. It's yeah. funny, it's it's worth my time. I think it's funny. So I they got to a point where they like became friends with Jimmy Buffett and they would make all these jokes about Jimmy Buffett. Margaritaville's Jimmy Buffett? Yeah, Jimmy, the Jimmy Buffett. And Interesting. They, they're friends with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Of what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. And, and Lin-Manuel Miranda actually listened to their podcast prior to becoming a household name. Like they interview him while he's working on Hamilton. He's like, yeah, I'm living at this theater right now and I'm working <laughs> on this play. And I, it's, it's just bonkers. And like, I was like, okay, you know what? There's an evolution in their podcast yeah. and it's an accident. It's, it's just them living their lives. They're doing this show every week and you kind of work if, it out as you go. Yeah, you work it out as you go. And if the person, if if the if the brothers who made episode five hundred met the brothers who made episode two, they would have so much to say to yeah. one another. Like you don't know what's coming, but you're going on the craziest journey of your life. Yeah. And I loved. Like, that's how I fell in love with all of the podcasts that I love. I, I started episode one and I just binge all of them. And the audio, I have I have suffered through some horrible fucking audio. 
And it's paid off because I love them. By yeah. the time I get to episode 500, I love these people and I love their journey and I've watched them grow and I think it's so cool. Yeah. Um, so I recorded a couple of these audio journals and I was like, fuck this. I'm never going to touch this audio again. I'm thinking about these podcasts and I go, I have to do this as a podcast. If I'm going to do what my therapist wants me to do, I have to do it as a podcast because that's going to give me accountability because if I'm releasing an episode every single week, I have to stop and check in with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to force me to learn how to edit audio. It's going to like force me to engage with this audio beyond recording it. Yeah. And I, I have to do, I have to do it this way because what else am I going to podcast about? Like, Am I going to start a podcast in four years after I've worked out how to do everything with this? I don't think so. So I'm just going to start and see what happens. And then the pandemic kept going and it kept going. And I realized everybody was probably having really similar experiences that I was where they were losing someone that fucking meant the world to them. And I watched so many people tweet. Like they live tweeted their mother's death or their father's death. They'd be like, hey, I'm watching my mom on an iPad die on a ventilator right now. And I can't go be with her because she's in the COVID ward and they're not allowing anybody in. And I watched, I don't know, I think at least five people do this. And I, I was like, I'm doing something I need to be doing right now. I, I need to be doing this. Um, and so for it's a while, a snapshot just, of the time. Yeah. Like I, I was, I was doing it for me because I was trying to cope with my mom being dead. I was trying to cope with the pandemic. I was yeah. trying to cope with other people live tweeting their grief. That's um, intense. That like, it was, it was a lot. And I, I had to do all of this while trying to recover from long COVID, which nobody knew anything about. And my doctors were like, you're fine, I guess. Go Do home. they know anything about it now? No. No. I mean, not really. not really. I'm not a doctor, and God bless any doctors that might be listening, but um, I, I, I meant like medical community writ large. Like, it's so new, yeah. and like, They're still yeah. learning. They're still learning, and... I maybe I just have the wrong doctors, but I don't think that the information from like the highest levels of research, I just don't think that information has trickled down to my level of care yet. So like they might have two years of research, but my doctor doesn't have all of that. Like, I think I think that in the end, we are going to see a new field of Mm -hmm. doctors crop up. Like you can go to a neurologist, you can go to an ENT, you can go to all these specialists. I think there are going to be COVID specialists because this, this thing can affect so many different systems in your body that I think that you're going to need someone who's looking at it like on a whole picture. On a multi-system level. Yeah. And I think that I, I really think a COVID specialist is something we're going to see in our lifetime. I don't think we'll see it. That would be tremendous. That's... I don't think we'll see it for like 10 to 15 years, but I think it'll be there. I I really hope so. I hope so too. Oh. But I 
talk about all of this on the podcast and uh recently i i i opened it up because i i'm tired of feeling alone um i've just kind of been talking into the void and uh i i think i'm ready for the void to talk back a little so i this is gonna sound super cheesy but (laughs) you know you've always been like a cousin or like (laughs) Like a like a like a weird stepsister we found in a big lots parking lot or something you know like a stray dog I found yeah yeah but sometimes sometimes like because like you I work from home a lot and like you I kind of feel you know you miss people sometimes and so sometimes I'll turn on your podcast and then I'll just like I feel like I'm kind of like oh you there's know. Cassie talking again and I'm like oh yeah you know yeah. and then my wife listening goes oh oh Cassie's sad again no look at that. <laughs> Cassie's still sad, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. No, my my big character arc is sad girl being sad. Maybe not sad this week. I don't know. <laughs> Tune in to find out. Um, but yeah, I I I I'm going through a lot. I've gone through yeah. a lot in the pandemic, but like I feel like we were pretty fortunate. Yeah. Um just overall i don't think this was like the worst i i don't think i had the worst pandemic experience out there and i think that um i don't know i just keep thinking about how many people regardless of knowing about my podcast or not reached out to me and said hey i'm having a mental health crisis and i don't know what to do and I know you've been really open about your mental health on like social media. What do I do? And I, I know that the pandemic created a, a giant mental health crisis under all of the other crises that it created. But I, I've talked about being in therapy on this channel myself. Yeah. Like that. I think there needs to be a space for people to, to talk about what's made them sad or made them happy. Like, cause I mean, even it, it feels, it sucks to feel sad during all of this, but to have something monumentally awesome happen and then have to like go around and tell your friends, Oh my God, the world is falling apart, but I just got married or (laughs) I just, just had this happen or that happen. I got this big promotion I've been working towards. Like it feels just as shitty to have good news as it does to have really (laughs) horrible news. And it's it's the world's on fire. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, so there's a war over here, but (laughs) I just, I had this cool thing happen or the hospital's been choking on the dead for two years. No, I, yeah. I get it. I, and this is something I kind of realized myself lately. Um, I, I was in the military for 13 years and then I got out and then six months later, the world shuts down. And then, uh, so it kind of feels like an emotionally, like an extension of everything. It feels like, yeah, it feels like I walked through fire for 15 years straight and I saw people all around me metaphorically getting burned and I got a little burned, but not too bad. <laughs> Things kind of worked out for old Derwin, you know. <laughs> and 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 like I, 
it's like I was close enough to things to be like, oh, that's what you know the end looks like, and that's what oh he's six months from the end, and then he's so you know like like just really horrific things, and and so it's hard to deal with that. And then that is also a thing that's cropping up post pandemic. And that's, I think it's a very valid thing because like, kind of like you, I hid in a bunker afraid of the sun for two years or about a year and a half. And, you know, I kept hearing, I remember the winter of 2020, I kept hearing the siren song of like, Hey, just come out and see people. And I'm like, Nope. (laughs) And, and, and it nearly drove me mad. The worst thing, the worst thing and the best thing about the pandemic was, um, so with my mom being gone, it was really hard to go to the hometown because it it used to be hometown equals see my mom. Yeah. And then suddenly that wasn't what it was going to mean. And so it, it gave me this, this reason to not go. Yeah. But there were people and things I missed and craved and like I wanted to go home. I actually think that I I think that everyone I had a lot of people assume that I didn't want to come to my hometown because my mom was dead and I couldn't go back. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was true for a little bit. But at a certain point, like I hit a threshold where even me, the most introverted person I know, um, I wanted to see these people that meant so much to me but I couldn't I couldn't make that decision for myself and for them even though they were like hey I want to see you Mm -hmm. I had COVID I knew that if they got COVID it was going to wreck them and I couldn't I couldn't I, I couldn't grapple with the weight of that decision like going and seeing the person and being the reason that they got yeah. sick or then you like, got like, their blood was, on your hands that was that was such a horrible feeling to me because yeah. like i i don't hold any like i don't hold any resentment or anger towards the person that i'm pretty sure i got covid from yeah but like well, that was like early march of 2020 yeah. like, there's no way that you know that person knew yeah exactly but like if like if i had died I, I don't know, like, I don't know what that person would have felt if I had died, you know, and like, I didn't want to find out how that would feel if probably would have grappled for the rest of their life. Like, like, I I didn't want to, I didn't want to find out what that felt like. To yeah. know that I was the reason someone might be on a ventilator, might need to be on a ventilator. Like I didn't. Somebody wanna... you care about. Somebody. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want. I didn't want to turn into the person watching my loved one die on an yeah. iPad in the hospital. And on the flip side, I also had a hard time grappling with the. I may never see this person again because if they are engaging in pandemic unsafe behaviors i might not see them again so if they get sick and i don't go and see them before they're sick that also feels shitty and there were people there were people that i at one point i had a person who i won't name 
um, I was trying to spend time with them because I had I had given up yeah. trying to encourage them, I guess. And I thought, oh, well, you know, it, I, I, I can just make some smiles and some memories and, 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 you know, and that's hard because they're like, oh, well, you know, this person will probably be dead in six months and I'll probably watch him fucking die on a ventilator like a fucking moron. <laughs> and, but you love them and you're like, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm it's 35. I'll probably it's be a fine. hard thing to to figure out. Like it, it, it neither neither option felt. There's like no I good option. Win. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly. it felt like a lose lose, and I, it, it was really like the kept... best option was just to stay the fuck away from them. Yeah, and that and way, was, if they was... died, their blood wasn't on your hands. And and nobody could like if any like I I might have gone with well they couldn't have known they gave me COVID. Yeah. And they like they, they I don't blame I don't blame or hold resentment for it, but that doesn't mean that someone else would do the same for me. Yeah. So I mean there was also the chance that they got COVID, they live, and then they resent me because yeah. I had complications after COVID that I yeah. still deal with. And so and you're I don't, 30, you're, you, you 32, know, before, yeah. before, co- you know, it's 30 at COVID and 32 now. Like, it's just, I don't want to be that person who, yeah. who, t- who, who winds up being the person that they might hate later because, well, congratulations. I have asthma and that's for the rest of my life or like. You like, were my canary in the coal mine. Yeah. Right. Like. Like I, I like to think I'm just smart enough to understand how profoundly dumb I really am, right? And I think that's the first step to wisdom. But so, you know, if all the smart people with the letters by their name are saying, hey, man, stay the fuck home for like two years, I'm like, cool. And then you get sick real early. Like it was like, it was, we went to your mom's funeral, then the yeah. world closed down, and then you got sick. Yeah, and, then I'm, and like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I got sick at her funeral. Yeah. Because it would have been 13 days from yeah. my interaction with the person that had it and gave it to me. Yeah. Like, and, like, and that was just March for you. Yeah. Like, that yeah, was all that just... Was March. <laughs> That's fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, hell of a hell of a month. That's a hell of a month, man. And yeah, I think we'll end there on a hell of a month. You yeah. have any closing thoughts on Jones, on um, Grams, on the podcast? Jones and Grams are available on Amazon, and there'll be links I in the description. Have no idea what I'm doing is on uh, most podcasting platforms uh you can find it at anchor.fm and pick your platform from there there'll be a link to spotify Uh, thanks spotify Uh, links in with facebook pretty good um and then the uh other thing uh you can write into the podcast uh 
at idkpandemicpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can send me your sad shit or your happy shit. <laughs> Just I'll, I'll tell on myself shit. I wrote into your podcast. <laughs> and at one point, I quoted Thomas Paine in the American Crisis number one. Nice. Yeah, I uh, I read them all anonymously, so I will not out you, but you have outed yourself. <laughs> uh, I will allow <laughs> I will allow uh, anyone who shares to out themselves as they want to, um, but I read them all anonymously. Um, and uh, you can follow that podcast on Twitter at IDK Pandemic Pod. Um, that's the only social media that I have for it because managing one social media is hard enough. So I'm not trying to do a whole bunch of things. Um, yeah. And, uh, the, uh, the other place, uh, the other thing that I'd like to just mention is, um, if you want new Jones content after you finish reading Jones, uh, there might be some little short snippets out there on the internet on uh, Readsy's prompts uh, website. They have this thing where you can do like a prompt a week. Uh, they like release a prompt and then you write a response. Um, and I sometimes write on there and uh, I've done a couple of Jones stories on there. Will those ever be collected? Maybe. They better. Like, I'm a fan. Anyway, Cassie, I want to thank you for coming on today. I want to thank you for your open and honest conversation on mental health and mental illness and all that jazz. I want to thank you for sharing stories about your mom. And I want to thank you for being my dear, dear friend for seven years. Oh, my God. Thanks for having me and thanks for being my friend. And uh, seven years is a long time. I did not realize it's been a while. It's um, <laughs> dang, that's crazy. Um, it went by pretty fast. Yeah. And oh. for the Blanket Fortress of Solitude, this is Derwin signing off. <laughs>